Well, that's, uh, it's just kind of fun for us, and, and uh, like I said, it, it's part of, we believe that, that God is all is calling us to reach all generations, but particularly lean in at the next generation, and one of the strengths of Seacoast is that we have all the generations. We're not just a young church, we're not just an older church, but we have it all, and, and that is actually a strength and uniqueness to us. So thanks for being a part of what you do. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 20. We're going to jump into our, service, our message for today, and as you find Acts chapter 20, either turn there or turn on your Bibles and tap there. Uh, let's pray as we get started. God, we thank you so much for this morning again, and we pray, uh, Lord, that even as we started our morning with musical worship and just tuning our hearts to you and, and reflecting on your goodness and reflecting on the fact that you hold on to us, God, made that truth be transformative, and change and shape who we are today. So we thank you. We give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 20. We are in uh, our series called Family Stories, and again, it's stories of, of the early church and our ancestors in the faith. So the stories that they were going through, the stories that they told that shape who we are to this day. And uh, we're going to, for the sake of time, we're going to just jump straight in. We're in Acts chapter 20. We're going to pick it up starting in verse 6. And uh, by way of just to know where we are, we were studying uh, last week. Uh, Paul was in Ephesus, a guy named Paul who's kind of going around and starting new churches. And he was in a city called Ephesus. And now from here he's left. He's making his way back to Jerusalem. His desires to get there uh, by the time of this uh, Jewish feast called uh, Shavuot or the Pentecost. And so he's trying to get to Jerusalem in time for uh, for that celebration, and so we see him traveling from city to city, and right now in verse 6, we'll pick it up where they are. We sailed from Philippi, and after the days of the unleavened bread, we reached them at Troas within five days, and we stayed at Troas for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were gathered together, and there was a young man named Eutychus sitting in the window still, sill, sinking into a deep sleep. As Paul talked on and on, Eutychus was overcome by sleep, and he fell down from the third floor, and he was picked up dead. And Paul went down, and he fell upon him, and after embracing him, he said, Don't be troubled, for he is still alive. So when Paul had gone back up and broken bread and eaten, he talked with them a long while until daybreak, and then they left. They took away the boy alive, and they were greatly comforted. That's the story we're looking at here today. Now, this is a story, when we read it in, in, in Scripture, there's, there's again, as, as we find in a lot of these stories, there's kind of a little comedic element to it. I, I mean, I don't know if it's funny, someone falling out of a window and dying, but just the, the situation of it is, is kind of absurd. And, and whenever we get to these stories, again, we want to know, when Luke, who's the guy who wrote all this down, when he uses names and places, he wants us to know that we can go there, well, not now, but in their time, they could go and check out the story. To see what happens. So why is this story is the first question as we study this passage that we always want to ask is why is this story even in here? What do we learn from it? Because it's kind of a hard one to figure out what is it that we learn and there's a lot going on here and there's some really interesting things but let me just go back through and help first explain a little bit of the text to give some context to it. 
Uh, a, a side note that's interesting here, it says they, on the first day of, week, they were ga- of the week, they were gathered. Uh, this is probably the earliest indication that the Christian church, at least outside of Jerusalem or the Jewish segment of it, uh, the, the Gentile segment of the church was meeting on a Sunday. And uh, the calendar that, it, that Luke was using here would indicate first day of week is Sunday. It was a work day in the Roman world. So they were gathering, and apparently they're gathering at night, which makes sense if a lot of them were working during the day. So they start meeting there. Now, they're in this city called Troas. In fact, it's actually better understand as Alexandria Troas. Uh, it's in modern-day Turkey, and I know some of you love the images because it helps come alive, so I do have a couple images just to give you some idea of where it is. The first one up here just gives you the size of it, uh, of the city, the first image. Uh, someone said, that looks like Encinitas 50 years ago. Um, yeah, I guess so. Uh, it, that is actually modern-day, and you see there's a lot of farmland there, uh, but it's right along the sea. Um, it was a, a large city. In fact, at one point, it kind of competed with the size of Ephesus. Uh, that has a stadium. It has a theater. It has all of that. And that was in the time of Paul. Next one gives you an idea of what the street, uh, one of the streets looks like. So this is one of the remains of the streets that's there to this day. It's not that well preserved or excavated compared to others. But to give you some context, even if you notice on the side of that street, that would be uh, the storefronts or the, the base, the foundation of the buildings of the way these streets looked. Now, the next photo, get, this is not from Troas, but this is actually from outside of Rome. But this is the same type of building that was the foundation of what you just saw in Troas. The reason I'm showing it to you is because this is what they would call basically an apartment building. And these are the apartment buildings that were what we're talking about in the story to this day. Now, there would be an additional floor on top of this, which would be called the third floor. So they use European style. Um, what we would call the second floor is the third floor. So there's one more story on top of that, which would be a, a completely wooden structure, why none of those still exist to this day. They have some of the evidence of them, but they don't exist anymore. 2,000 years old, the wood houses don't last so, well, uh, so long. So uh, there'd be one additional story on top of that built of wood, and, that w- and this is one more to show you kind of what those streets would look like. So imagine this picture with an additional story on top. That's where the story takes place. Now, if you were on the top floor, um, that was where the poor people lived. So different than today, uh, you went on the top floor, away from all the noise and everything, that's because you're poor. And and you're up there, you also don't have any bathrooms or, or anything like that. So the top floor is where this story takes place. Okay, let's get back to the story. So Paul is preaching... And it says that he got there and he prolonged his message until midnight. Now, some of you, I know that about 10 minutes from now, are going to start looking down at your watches and starting to ask, how much longer is he going to prolong his message? (laughs) Could you imagine if it was, man, I worked all day, I have to get up tomorrow morning, and how long are you going to talk today? How much longer is he going? And... While that's happening, a young man, which that would be the terminology that related to someone probably between 8 and 14 years old, so somewhere in that, um, 8 and 14-year-old boy is sitting in the window, and that was actually one of the smartest places to sit, because imagine you're in a cramped room upstairs, and that is where you'll get the most flow. So I can't imagine if uh, the other people who have no airflow, if they're falling asleep, but they're up there. I love how Luke uses a little uh, just color in. He said, oh, and we had lamps burning. So imagine you're inside. You have lamps burning. You have the smell of oil. You have a preacher going on and on. (laughs) And you're somewhere between 8 and 14 years old. 
This is a recipe for disaster, okay? This is, this is just, you can see it coming. It, it made us kind of laugh as a, a teaching team. We thought about, and I have a verse for you. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, the first Corinthians uh, chapter 2. Uh, he says this, verse 1. He says, I, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come to you as someone superior in speaking ability or wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony of God. So Paul, by his own proclamation, is like, hey, listen, I, I'm, not the, I'm not the eloquent preacher. You're not going to have good stories. You're not, I'm just going to come to you and proclaim the testimony of God. So again, when we're looking for volunteers in our youth ministry, normally we'd say, Paul, that's awesome, your gifts, but not to our junior hires. No. <laughs> but he's preaching on and on, and we, we just kind of were laughing about that. Did that help him kind of fall asleep? So Eutychus falls asleep, and he falls out of the window. And he dies. Paul goes down and rescues him, or falls upon him, embraces him, and his life is restored. Now, obviously, there's a big question of like, really, did that happen? Well, if we are to believe that God is supernatural, then we believe in the supernatural. We believe that there are supernatural things that can happen in this world. If not, then God is, is not all-powerful or not able to intervene. So, yes, are miracles possible? We tend to believe, yes, they are. Do they happen all the time? No. Is this a common one? No. This one's not even common in Scripture. There's a few moments in Scripture where we see a miracle of life being restored. In fact, in Acts chapter 9, Peter is able to restore the life of a young woman, and here Paul does it. Now, anytime you have miracles, you want to ask, why is this miracle listed in here, other than it because it happened? But often what the reason is, the miracles are often to uh, confirm the message of the messenger, sometimes. Sometimes they are to communicate or to, to kind of emphasize a moment like, hey, what you're experiencing is true. This is the power that we want you to know. So often when you see miracles, it's to emphasize the, the power of the message that you're hearing. And sometimes miracles might just be the mercy of God, that God choosing to share compassion and mercy on someone out of his own choosing. In this case, I, I, it could be all of them. It could definitely be to confirm who Paul is and the power and the message that he's bringing, just like it happened with Peter. So it's as if God is saying, I want you to know Paul's message. Listen to him. He's proclaiming the truth. The power of God resides in him. We want you to know this truth. And it also could be an example of, hey, we want you to believe this message you're hearing. So they see this miracle and then they break bread, which probably means they shared communion. They had a meal, and then it lasted until daybreak. <laughs> now that's a church session right there, right? Some of you maybe grew up in like those kind of the Bible Belt type churches. You're like, oh yeah, that was called Sundays for me growing up. You paused, you had a potluck, and then you went back to church Sunday night. So this is, this is their equivalent of that. So here's a question for us. What, what are the points that we can learn from? What, are we, what do we see in this story? And there's a few things I want you to see in this story. The first thing that we see is this is a story of the good news being described, or the gospel described. See, Paul goes, and he's starting to proclaim the whole truth to them. Paul knows, and the passage we'll look at next week, we see that Paul knew that this would probably be the last time he sees this group of people. There was an urgency in his life. 
There's a sense of, I want you to know the full message of God. And, and so here he's like, I need to describe to you. I want to explain to you the good news. And, and, and so there was an urgency and a passion in Paul's message that he could describe that people would fully grasp and understand the good news. And I want you to also see, notice the passion that the church had to actually take a work night to go and listen to Paul, to not only listen to him till midnight, but until daybreak the next day, and then to go to work the next day. This urgency of them to say, we want to know these words of truth. This is life-changing message. And so we have the good news described here. Now this is not, the good news is not just what we are saved from but it's also what we are saved into. See, Paul is not taking the whole night just to say, okay, you can be saved from your sins. There's this sense in us sometimes to think that, and Matt even alluded, it to, it, alluded to it today, but the good news isn't just, hey, you can be saved and have eternity in heaven. Now that's good news, amen? You can be saved from your sins. All the things that you've done against God of your past, your present, and your future are taken care of in Christ. That is good news. But it's not just that. We're not just saved from a world of sin, but we're saved into a life of faith. Paul actually wrote it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 when he was talking about how he doesn't preach eloquently. I have the rest of that verse for you here, starting in verse 2. Paul said, I determined to know nothing among you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was also with you in weakness and fear and in great trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on, your, on the wisdom of mankind, but on the power of God. See, Paul, what Paul was doing is saying, I'm sharing my whole life with you that you may understand the good news. It's not just some words or some knowledge that fills our head, but this is a life that's shared. I was with you in weakness and in fear. I was w walked with you through the hard times and, and good times that you may ex understand the spirit of God and the power of God that's lived out in your daily life. So the good news is not just a rescue plan to snatch you from the earth. I literally, I was... Uh, one of the churches I was working at many, many years ago, I, I met someone who, uh, a conversation came up, and, and it actually came up about the environment. And he said this, he goes, well, I, who cares about the environment? And, and, and this was many years ago, and he goes, as a Christian, I don't need to care. I can take my motor oil and pour it into the ground because it doesn't matter. It's all going to burn anyway. Life is about getting to heaven, and I'm going to be in heaven, so who cares? Now, some of you are very offended by that. And some of you maybe have thought that in your past. But that is a, a mentality that says that life is only about what happens in eternity. It's not about what Jesus is doing in us now. It's only about being rescued and snatched away. And I don't think that's actually a very good view of the world for a lot of reasons. So it's not just a rescue plan to snatch us, but it's a life, it's to give, the good news gives us, and it's more, sorry, the good news is also more than just giving you a good moral life. It's not to make you a better version of yourself. That happens, and that's a good thing, right? But it's actually a life that as we're being transformed, we're partnering with God, and we become a blessing to those around us. When the good news is on display in us, the world gets to experience the grace and the love and the compassion of God. Chuck Swindoll, 
wrote this about grace, and he said this is what happens in the life of Christians as they start to understand grace, and I want you to see this. He says, grace has to be the loveliest word in the English language. It embodies almost every attractive quality we hope to find in others. Grace is a gift of the humble to the humiliated. Grace acknowledges the ugliness of sin by choosing to see beyond it. Grace accepts a person as someone worthy of kindness, despite whatever grime or hard shell casing keeps him or her separated from the rest of the world. Grace is a gift of tender mercy when it makes the least amount of sense. See, the good news in our lives, actually, when Paul's describing it, he's describing this life that comes with the Spirit and with power that's with you in your weakness and, and, and your fears, that grace, this good news, is poured out through us. So in this story, we see the good news being described and the hunger and thirst for it. Next week, we're ser- changing our service time, so the sermon will be two hours long. We're going to... No, We now have access to a lot of this truth that they didn't have them, but do we have a hunger and thirst for the words of God to know him more, to experience him more, to allow that truth to transform us? So the story has the good news described. The next part of it is the good news displayed. The good news is on display in the story. See, we see uh, compassion is on display. We have Eutychus who falls from a window. And by the way, if you're ever on uh, Bible Jeopardy and, and someone asks you, like, who's the name of the person who fell from the window? His name's Eutychus. You know how you remember it? Because Eutychus, too, if you fell from a window. So, <laughs> sorry, I had to do it. I had to do it. Someone told that to me, like, 30 years ago, and I still remember it. So, <laughs> So Eutychus, okay, now you're not going to hear the name right. <laughs> but Eutychus falls from this window, and he dies. Now, obviously, this is an extreme example. This is an extreme story. But in this moment, can you imagine you're Paul? It's your last moment with the church, and you're in the middle of teaching truth, and all of a sudden, someone falls out of the window. I've, again, it's an extreme case. But that's called a disruption, <laughs> That's called someone going off course and Paul thinking like, okay, I'm only on point number two. How do I deal with this kid who just fell from the window? And you can imagine a case where he said, okay, some of you go down, work with him. Let's just circle up and pray and kind of pray and find out, okay, that got taken care of. Let's get back to the message. Again, maybe not. It's an extreme situation, but I love what happens here. Paul embraces the interruption. And he goes down. He didn't send someone else. He didn't say, oh, there's got to be people to deal with this. Luke, you're a doctor. Go take care of it. He stops and he goes down and embraces the kid. Embraces him. See, in this case, the interruption is actually part of the good news. He goes down and puts compassion on display. Now, of course, I love how it ends. The kid is healed. The kid comes back and is restored to life. That's an amazing point. But for us today, this probably won't happen exactly like this for us, but where does it happen? Where are the interruptions, the people who are interrupting you, maybe interrupting the good things you're doing? 
Maybe you're on a walk and you're just praying and the Lord's speaking to you and your neighbor, that neighbor who needs a little extra touch of compassion and grace, you know the neighbor who takes up your time? The neighbor who sometimes you see him in the grocery store and you go, oh, maybe I needed something over here instead. No one, else, no one does that. And you're in a prayer walk and that neighbor sees you and says, hello, and it's an interruption. But it's the person who needs you to go down to embrace them and to be the good news on display in his or her life. See, Paul takes the interruption and he goes down. At this point, it wasn't about the message. It wasn't about the words. It wasn't about the information filling their heads, but it was a, a tangible display of the compassion of Jesus, of God who came down for you and for me in our death as we're sitting there lost and we're dead in our sins, God comes down. Paul models this. See, the world needs us sometimes to be interrupted. In fact, 2020, would you agree, is the great interruption. <laughs> I don't know. I was talking with some church planters this last week. I gathered with a few of them and uh, to kind of pray and encourage, and, and one of them, he says, yeah, we planted our church at the end of 2019. I was like, that's terrible timing. Why didn't you know? <laughs> and as we talked, we talked about how the interruption of the last year actually allowed us to see more clearly what God is calling us to, it gave us a sense of urgency. But the world needs us to put the God, good news on display through our lives. The former... Uh, Christian songwriter Rich Mullins said this. He said, I became a Christian not because someone explained the nuts and bolts of Christianity to me, but because I encountered people who became the nuts and bolts. Compassion on display. So that's caring for the lowly. It's caring for the hurting. It's caring for the sick. It's caring for the people who are brokenhearted. It's caring for the people who are living in great fear. It's caring for the people who are confused. It's caring for the people who vote differently than you as caring for the people whose yard signs look different than yours. It's saying, I'm going to put the good news on display in my life to you. It's also this, I want to challenge this with, I think it's also caring for the Christians who have stumbled and fallen in their own lives. Our, our, our life group, the guys in our group were talking last week, and one of the things we were talking about, it got onto the subject of Christian celebrities. And Christian celebrities, someone said, like, ah, I'm kind of afraid of Christian celebrities because we all look up to them, right? You have the, the Tim Tebow's out there, you know, the, 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 the big name Christians, the Tim Tebow's, the Kanye West's, uh, sorry, the Ye, uh, that's his new name. So it, we should have had that as one of our questions. Justin Bieber, these are our celebrity Christians. And, and the fear was, what happens if they stumble and fall and they sin? Oh, man, it makes us all look so stupid. What about the famous pastors when they stumble and fall and sin? <sighs> what if, instead of saying, oh, that person messed up, we just want you to know we're cutting ties with them. They don't represent our tribe. Sorry, world. No, no, no. We, we, I know we lifted them up. They were our superstars, but they messed up. So no, no, don't worry. They're not with us. What if instead, we, we didn't celebrate their sin, but we celebrated and said, guess what? You know what the good news is? When Carl Lentz falls, 
as a pastor, he, a famous pastor, he falls. You know what the good news is? That he's still a brother in Christ. The good news is the gospel still applies to him. The good news is when we preach that your sins yesterday, today, and forever are taken care of, that they're actually taken care of. And so instead of being afraid of and shunning Christians who fall, we say, oh no, we still love them because our God loves them and will never let them go. Now, is there consequences? Of course. Are we going to say, oh, so keep on preaching and live whatever life? No. But what if we didn't say, oh, the next morning the news is always, we fired him. Don't worry, he's fired. What if it's, oh, don't worry. We're going to come around him and his family, and we're going to show what the good news looks like to the rest of the world who's ready to torture this person. Because that's not the good news we read about in Scripture. Because if it is, guess what? You and I are in hot water. And so the celebrity Christian needs as much grace as you and I do. And you need God's grace from me. I need it from you. The world needs to see that this good news works. So when someone falls from the window, you can know in the church, we will go down and pick you up. The good news on display. Finally in the story, we see the good news is now deployed. Look how it ends. They preached <laughs> until midnight. They had communion. And com can you imagine that communion session right there? A little more tangible reminder, right? Paul says, oh, we're celebrating the resurrection and the power of Jesus. Everyone's like, yeah, okay, we're in. <laughs> celebrating the life, the body of Christ. Oh, yeah, we get it. As they leave, Look at verse 11 and 12. They broke in bread, they eaten, they talked until daybreak, they left. They took a boy, the, away the boy alive, and they were greatly comforted. <laughs> you think? As they left, they were comforted. And they brought that message. Troas is actually the city where Paul first re received the vision to take the message from Asia to the rest of Europe. Originally. Troas is, uh, is known as a place where the missionary movement to the rest of the world began. This is a city that's known for taking this message and saying, go, deploy it. Let the world see what we see and know what we know because this is the hope of the world. Good news, the story's deployed. They're encouraged. They bring that message. It continues on for years and years and years. To the point where even the Roman Empire at one point was going to make their capital after it became Christianized. They said, maybe we'll make it in Troas. The good news is coming forth from up there. I'm going to invite the band to make their way back up. And as they make their way back up, I want us to all just take a moment and consider the story and find our place in the story. For some of you, Maybe your place is you've been discouraged or inconvenienced by interruptions in your life. And maybe God's encouraging you and challenging you to embrace the interruption and to go down to someone else. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a spouse who just needs your unconditional forgiveness and embrace. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a parent. A neighbor, a coworker pastor at your church someone who needs you 
with the good news on display. Maybe for some of you, you are the person who fell from the window. Maybe today you are Eutychus, and you're here and you're thinking, would someone, I'm not worthy for you to come down. I'm not worthy for you to come embrace me. I messed up. I'm the one who fell asleep. I wasn't listening. I didn't memorize enough verses. I didn't take it seriously enough. I'm the lost sheep. Today I want you to know that your God doesn't see you that way, and your church doesn't either. Jesus Christ came and gave his life for you, and you can't undo that work. And so you are a precious creation of God, and if you are in Christ, you are fully his today. I don't care what you've done. You are his. Turn to the person next to you and say, I am his. Go ahead, right now, remind him. Because that is the truth. <laughs> I want you to embrace The author, Nadia Boltz-Weber, wrote this. She said, I love the world too much, or this is, sorry, grace is God saying, I love the world too much to let your sin define you and be the final word. In fact, I'm a God who makes all things new. And God was never about making me spiffy. God was about making me new. New doesn't always look perfect. Like the Easter story itself, new is often messy. New likes recovering. New looks like recovering alcoholics. New looks like reconciliation between family members who don't actually deserve it. New looks like every time I manage to admit I was wrong and every time I manage not to mention it when I'm right. New looks like every fresh start and every act of forgiveness and every moment of letting go of what we thought we couldn't live without and then somehow living without it anyway. New is a thing we never saw coming never even hoped for, but it ends up being what we needed all along. See, I believe in this story we see a picture of God and his tendency to make things new. You and I need to be made new in Christ. Our world needs new. That's what the gospel does. It makes things new. So let us be encouraged in this place. Let's be excited that this is a God who will never give up on us. Let's be hopeful that our world that needs this truth actually is not out of the reach of our Lord. Even those falling from windows can be made new. So I invite you to stand with me and with the band as we end our time and return our hearts back to God as a reminder of this truth. And would you join us in prayer? God, we thank you for this time. We thank you that you're about making things new. And I pray in this place that you would shape and change us, Lord. Would you put off the baggage of our past, of our sin, of our failures? Lord, would you put off the baggage of our shame when we fall from windows? And God, would you open our eyes to those around us? We need that compassion, that gospel on display. Lord, we turn our hearts to you knowing that you are the giver of all good. And you are the one. Your power in and through us is where our hope is found. So we give you this time in our hearts.